Okay, my name is Bill Lytell, Senior Pastor of Gospel Baptist Church. For any of you viewing in that do not know me, uh, Gospel Baptist Church started in 1980, and we've been uh, organized and being used of God here in Bonita Springs, Florida now for 40 years. I want to talk to you of a passage of Exodus chapter 2, verse 14. Exodus chapter 2, verse 14 is a, is a section where Moses, had, as you know, if you know at least the story of Moses, he was uh, uh, left to float in the, in the Nile River, abandoned uh, by law because no boys were supposed to live. His mama put him in a, a, little, a little boat, as it were, and put him in the reeds, and Pharaoh's daughter found him, as the providence of God is, liked him adopted him as her own. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, and he learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Uh, he knew all of their uh, all of their gods and all of their uh, wisdom, of, of, and they did have a lot of wisdom in building and other things. And so he gets of age, he's growing up, he begins to go out, and he realizes, according to the passage, it's clear before verse 14, that he realizes he's a Hebrew. And he sees uh, an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he looks around to see that nobody's there, and he kills the Egyptian, puts him in the sand, tries to bury him and hide the crime. The next day he goes back out, and he sees two Hebrews fighting among themselves, one Hebrew abusing another one, and he tries to intervene for them. And this is verse 14. He said, this, this Hebrew that he was evidently doing wrong to the other one said, Who, hath, who made thee a prince and a judge? over us. Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. We see later in the passage that uh, Pharaoh uh, was going to kill him for that murder. He took off into the wilderness. And so we, Moses uh, had to learn. He had learned the first 40 years how to be a somebody. The second 40 years of his life, he learned how to be a nobody in the, in the, as a sheep herder in the desert. And uh, the fourth 40 section of his life, he lived 120 of 40 years of his life, learned how to be a somebody in the last 40 years that God taught him. And so what is this question? I want to deal with this question in verse 14. Who hath made thee a prince and a judge over us? That, that, that question there reveals a spirit that we all have in us. You've noticed it long before now, if you've lived at all. Uh, as a teenager, that, that especially came up in you when you were told to do something by an authority and you didn't want to do it, didn't like what they said. Uh, you, who hath made them a prince or a judge over us? That spirit goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, we see uh, Satan tempting Eve, he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What, what Satan's doing basically is saying, Who is God that he should hold you back from eating of this tree? Uh, the, even before the fall, this is before the fall in Genesis, that spirit, uh, at least uh, some of that spirit of anti-authority, was appealing to Eve. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used it. So he says, uh, you know, God's holding back on you. you he has a real no, no right to restrict your life. And who is he to judge you? 
So we see the whole world in all kinds of splinters today because they don't like authority. They resist authority. We're, we, are, we have all these various splinters even within the United States. And people are saying even today, who hath made thee a prince or a judge over us? This, this spirit, if I may say, echoes down through the ages. A most anti-judging, and by the way, is uh, people, people come to me often and they'll say, Preacher, judge not, lest you be judged. That may be a verse. People may not even read the Bible. They may have never read the Bible. And the only verse they know in the Bible is judge not, lest you be judged. I have been personally amazed at how many people know the verse, judge not, lest you be judged. It's amazing. But most anti-judging spirit is a ploy to resist authority and cover up willfulness and sin that they don't want to be called on. The Bible's clear that God has established a system of judgments that Christians could and should do in appropriate time. I know that this kind of thing can be a fraught with abuses, but God has not left us uh, without knowledge in this area. We're responsible to know the teaching on the subject of judging in the Bible. Uh, first of all, let me deal with some of the abuses. Jesus warns us to be very careful when we judge uh, a major sin among Christians, of course, is self-righteousness, leading to abusive judging of others. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to go to for a moment, in verse 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Jesus' words, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. That's the principle right there. Judge not, judge not that ye be not judged. That may be the most quoted verse or I should say maybe it this way, misquoted verse of the entire Bible. Uh, they don't go to the other verses that I'm going to read. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. What measure ye meet, ye shall be measured to you again. That's the process of payback. In other words, when you judge, always remember, God sets a principle in motion that by the judgment, whether it be righteous or unrighteous, that you judge, that kind of judgment somehow or another is going to come back to you. Verse 3 and 4 talks about the perpetual blindness that we naturally have in our judging. And why, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Uh, what Jesus is pointing out is we have faults and we have troubles uh, that we evidently cannot see or don't want to see, but we sure can see the faults and troubles of people around us. I mean, it's not hard for us to do that. In fact, we're gifted at looking at the faults of others, which is, and we're also blinded at looking at our own faults. Verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, then shall thou clearly cast out the mote as in thy brother's eye. This is the procedure that he lays out for ever judging others. In other words, what he's saying there is, you better first judge yourself, carefully look at yourself and judge yourself before you begin to look at other people and judge them. Oftentimes what's crazy is we will judge people harshly in an area of our weakness. We have a weakness in an area. For some reason, I've seen people overjudge or judge over harshly in an area of their own weakness. Maybe it's because they don't like their weakness and 
because of that attitude of not liking their weakness, when they see that same weakness in somebody else, uh, they're all over them. Uh, so let's go back over these first uh, five, these five verses of Matthew 7 real quickly here, and let me try to establish something of truth. First, try not to judge if possible. I believe that's what verse 1 is talking about. Try not to judge unless you have to judge. Uh, the tendency to judge should be avoided unless two things happen. Number one, you're forced into it by necessity and the very welfare of the person that needs to be judged. Secondly, you're forced into it by the responsibility of your position. Uh, there should not be an eagerness to judge. And there also should not be a flippant attitude in our judging. Why? Well, we see the second thing Jesus says, because your judgment will be measured to you in the same degree that you measure those around you. Thirdly, we see in, his, in Jesus' message in verses 1 through 5, it says, beware of self-righteousness, or in other words, sugarcoating our faults. That's another reason we need to be slow to judge, because we are not good judges because we have flaws that we do not readily see. And finally, one may be able to judge others. In other words, he doesn't just say you can't judge other folks or you shouldn't judge. Um, he, he disqualifies uh, the judgment that sometimes is forced on you. Uh, if everybody's been a parent, of course, you know you're, you're constantly uh, judging uh, your kids. You're constantly judging your kids. If you've been an employer and you're a boss, you're constantly in a process of judging those that work for you. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're a husband, I hate to say it, but a husband has to sometimes judge a wife. Wife has to judge a husband. I mean, there's almost no relationship we have that we don't have to exercise some sort of judgment. But if you have to do it, understand these things he's mentioned and be tempered in your judgment with a lot of caution and a lot of careful introspection. Um, I think one of one of the verses that sticks out of me in the New Testament is James chapter 2 and verse 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. That's pretty big. I know that makes me, that bothers me right there. For he shall have judgment without mercy. Now, I don't know anybody I've ever talked to that says, I want judgment without mercy. I want God to judge me without mercy. No, man. First thing we do is say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. You're the God of all mercy. We begin to remind God that he's the God of all mercy. He's the God that originated mercy and is, he's, he's, he brags about, if I may say it this way, the Bible brags about God's mercy. So if we're going to be like God, then we're going to judge in mercy. I mean, look at the world today. Look how bad, how many bad things are happening today. What is that? God's mercy. Listen, God could come in here, stop this whole thing, judge this whole thing. Everybody, all, all wrongs would be made right. And by the way, that's going to happen someday. But you may say, why does he take so long? Why is he waiting so long? Why is there so much evil allowed to go on? Because he knows that once he comes in and finally judges, boom, that's it. There's no more mercy after that. But until then, he exercises mercy so that possibly folks can hear the gospel, repent of their sin, and be saved. That's, that's who God is. So 
according to John, Jesus' word, John chapter 7, verse 24, he said, Jesus says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So, in summation of all this, some judging is allowed, some judging is necessary, and some, some judging is good uh, that we have to do. So, there, are, there can be abuses of our judging, but it doesn't mean we're not to judge. And that's what people quote to you, judge not, lest you be judged. What they're saying is, you shouldn't do any judging. But that's not what the Bible said. If we went nowhere else but Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, we would know that. that that's not what the book says. And so let me go a little further on this, to the uses of judgment or judging according to the Bible. That's the main text for that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 2 through 7, if you want to look that up in your Bibles. Uh, so in verse, in verse uh, so we want to see here in, verse, in this section here, contrary to popular opinion, a born-again Christian is supposed to judge in many areas. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? That's a question. Don't you know, the people who go up there and say, now judge not, lest you be judged, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. If they knew the Bible, then they wouldn't say that because they would, they would also know what verse 3, 4, 5 said, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then they would also know what 1 Corinthians talks about here where Paul's telling the Corinthian church, the, the church at Corinth had sin in it, open sore, an open a wound of wicked sin going on. And nobody in the church was saying anything about it. And this is what, what brings this question on. Uh, <laughs> do you not know the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? You see a little, maybe the Holy Spirit allowed a little of the frustration of the Apostle Paul to come through here as he was dealing with these people at Corinth, why haven't you dealt with this? There was a situation of immorality. He said the immorality is so bad, even the world doesn't do this kind of immorality. And you guys have not judged it. You have not stopped it. You have not called it what it is. You have not called it out. And this is wrong. And so he deals with him in this letter on this. And he, so he starts him out and says, look, you can judge in these matters. Know ye not, in verse 3, that she shall judge angels. Now, I may say that this is about the only place in the New Testament that I know that we're told we're going to judge angels. I did not know that we were going to someday judge angels if I would not be told that by this passage. I did not know, in essence, I, I suppose you knew from a couple other passages that we were going to have judgment given to us by Jesus. I'll go over them in a minute to judge the world. But he says, don't you know you're going to judge the world? Don't you know you're going to judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life, common sense? He said, if someday God's going to give you the ability to judge the world, someday God's going to give you the ability to judge angels, how much more do you have the ability as a born-again believer with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to guide you, could you not judge in these smaller matters? Smaller matters, he's referring to, by the way, was the immorality that was going on in the church that needed to be called out. We Christians have a, have a responsibility to be the light of the world. We're supposed to call the world out when they do evil. We're supposed to say abortion is murder. We're supposed to say that. 
We're supposed to say that adultery is wicked sin. We're supposed to say living together is vile and an abomination to God. We're supposed to say that a transgender living is anti-God and an abomination to God. We're supposed to say that homosexuality is wicked and a vile sin before God. As I'm saying, by the way, right now, wherever this goes. And I do not say it apologetically. I say it on the authority of the very Word of God. We, as Holy Spirit-born people of God, are to call white, white, and black, black, and we're to do righteous judgments. We're not to be like the world says, don't judge these things. We are to judge them, of course, with the caution, with the mercy that God tells us to look at, but look at ourselves first, that we don't get uh, in trouble. He says in verse 4 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge what is least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there are not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one to another. Why do you not rather take wrong? And why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that's your brethren. So he, he goes off not only with the situation of the immorality in the church, but evidently there were other problems going on in the church that brothers were taking brothers to court, a public court uh, with unbelievers as the judges. And he says, I don't want my people with disputes among themselves to go to the secular court and to do judgment in front of the, in front of the unbelievers when you have all the, the tools you need to settle those things uh, here in the church. It's interesting. So we can judge. Saints will judge the world. When, Let's go back to that. Saints will judge the world. When are we going to do that? Well, the Bible says in the millennium. Let me read some verses here in various places of the Bible real quickly. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 says, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you, shall, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Wow. Those are those ragtag group of of apostles he picked, one a tax collector, fishermen, uh, many of them uh, uneducated people. Uh, but that was a group that he chose to eventually to judge the whole nation of Israel. In, verse, in Luke chapter 22, verse 30, it says, that she may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit upon thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's repeated. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 says, and he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end to him will I give power over the nations. That's judgment in the form of judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And Daniel, going back to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, in verse 22 of chapter 7, in fact, 22 and 27 in, in, in chapter 7, it says in verse 22 there, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So he talks about uh, saints judging the kingdom of God way, way ahead of even the New Testament speaking about it. 
verse 27, And the kingdoms and the domains and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Way before the New Testament was written, here Daniel, about 500 years, in fact, before it happened, Daniel's given an insight that the born-again believers, the saints of God, are eventually going to judge, and going to, a kingdom's going to be formed around them, an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting dominion. So uh, when will we judge? We're going to judge in the millennial period. Uh, where are a kingdom, uh, if I may say, uh, that's where we're going to be a kingdom of priests and kings. Revelation 1.6, And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When I read those things, I say, oh, Lord, not me. I'm not qualified. I'm, a, I'm only an old sinner saved by the grace of God. But these are the things I, I like. I like a Deuteronomy where, where Moses uh, says, if you obey the commandments of God, I think, it's, I think it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. And God says, if you'll follow my word, I'll command a blessing on you. In other words, he's saying, you're not going to have a choice whether you receive this blessing or don't receive this blessing. If you'll follow me and listen to me and obey my words, I'm going to command this blessing on you. Wow. Wow. We get, we get the blessing of God commanded on us. And I think that's what it here. I'm unworthy. To, I, I consider myself unworthy of any of this. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. Peculiar. But God says, look, born again believer, if you'll listen to me and do my will, be careful, be careful, worship me in spirit and truth. These are some of the things to look forward to happening. Because of this fact, can you, now, can you not now judge in the smallest matters? And what I did is just expand that passage that we earlier went to. So, do you not know that you shall judge the world? Do you not know that you shall judge angels? I mean, if we are given these kinds of positions in the Bible, my, oh my, surely we can, we can have some form of judgment that is righteous judgment and true judgment. Uh, we have to judge in, in this world all the time. Uh, we, you have to judge yourself. You, you have to judge in your marriage, as I mentioned. You have to judge in your home. You have to judge in your work. And you even have to judge in your church. But we need to strive to judge according to biblical principles of righteousness, truth, tempered with mercy, humbling yourself, always remembering how much you have been forgiven. There's no more, more, no more wicked person mentioned in the Bible than a self-righteous person. Now, you may not, that may surprise you. But a self-righteous person is like number one enemy of God. Um, the Pharisees, which really were considered to be model citizens, they knew the Old Testament Bible. They, they kind of would have been considered, I'm now going to say this carefully, the fundamentalists of their time. I mean, as far as knowledge of the Bible, and they also prided themselves in following what the Bible said, 
The problem was they followed it with externalism. They, they weren't really, they weren't in their heart following it. They were with their action following it, but not their heart. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy. They went around uh, desiring the utmost uh, praise of men. They enjoyed people calling them rabbi, teacher. They enjoyed people getting the uppermost seats in a, in a banquet and being, being honored as, oh, the rabbi is here. Let's put him up here and give him the best food. They enjoyed being served first. It was self-righteousness. Jesus condemned them in Matthew chapter 23. The harshest sermon in the whole Bible is Matthew chapter 23. And so you just got to realize that you want to be opposite of that. You always constantly, and I want to constantly be remembering how much we have been forgiven. How much has Jesus done for me? Man, I, I started thinking back and reviewing how much God has forgiven me, and I just, I just want to cry. I just want to be humbled by that and cry because I am un, I'm unworthy, really. Paul said this in Ephesians, I'm unworthy the least of his favor. Paul said, I'm less than the least of all the Gentiles. Now, if Apostle Paul said that, I can say amen to that. I'm less than the least of them. I deserve less than the least of all that the Gentiles would receive. And I am a Gentile myself. He was a Jew and a Pharisee, and that would make Pharisees hair stand up. But uh, you can judge if you keep that in mind. The husband, the employer, the pastor, the elected official must all judge regularly in order to have order and peace. So in order to have order and peace, you have to have judgments. So these people, going back to my beginning, where I said, oh, now, judge not, lest you be judged, would they have, what would they have? They would have a system of chaos. They would have a system of no correction in any direction. Uh, judgments like, like, like a fence that keeps you out of trouble. Over on each side of the fence is danger, and God's judgment is that fence to keep you out of this danger and keep you out of that Oh, you may hit the fence and say, that bothers me, hitting that fence. That bothers me, that judgment. That bothers me. But he's saving you from more pain and trouble than you even know. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. So the conclusion of the matter is, be warned. Judge slowly. Judge carefully. Judge mercifully when you have to judge. But we need to surely stop judging each other carelessly and casually. Uh, somebody doesn't do this little thing or maybe wear something you don't particularly like that is not dealt with in the Bible is wrong. And I mean, like, you know, uh, we have an assistant pastor here, uh, Chris Barrows, and he wears his hair in a point, you know, in a point up there. I mean, that's not my favorite haircut, but I'm not, I'm, who am I to judge him, right? I'm not going to say, now, Chris, I want you to go down. I want you to get a butch. I want you to shave your head and uh, because you're already going bald. You might as well just accept it. And I don't do that. I'm sweeter than that. I say, Brother Chris, uh, you like to wear that hair that way? He goes, oh, this is my favorite way to wear it. And I say, good, good. I, I like it. No, I don't tell him I like it, but I don't tell him I dislike it. I'm not going around judging him for what he does. Twenty-somethings uh, dress different than I do. Uh, they wear those real tight-legged pants. And, man, I know, you're an old man. You don't wear no tight-legged pants. Yeah. In fact, the older you get, the looser your clothes ought to get. 
I constantly tell my wife, that's too tight. I want you to get something looser. And uh, when you, if you don't understand what I'm saying, when you get old, you will. And, and I mean, but he wears them old tight-legged pants. I'm like, oh, man, I think to myself, man, them tight-legged pants, them are some ugly. I say, how do you like them pants there? He go, I like these. These are really in, man. This is what's it. So we're not going around picking at each other and, and biting each other and, 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 you know, constantly. I've been in environments like that. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. I'm not talking off the top of my head here. The Bible says, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You can consume it. I think what's going on in America. I, I, people say, is America being judged for its sin? We are in the midst of judgment. I'm not talking about the coronavirus. That's not even in the picture. Uh, these pandemics have come and gone through the millenniums. Nothing real special. 1918 was the last one. Before that, there was polio. Before that, there was tuberculosis. Before that, there was diphtheria. Before that, there was typhoid. Before that, there was malaria. You can go on. Worldwide, malaria still kills about over 2 million people a year right now. Nobody says a word about it. So I, I don't think it's the coronavirus. I'm talking about the hatefulness that's come up in America. I'm, I'm talking about this side versus this side. You know what's going to happen to America? Because we're at, we're, at, we're, like, we're at each other like this, just what this Bible says, what this Bible verse says in Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, and is that not what's going on today? I mean, they, they, these two sides have such opposing views and, 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 and attitudes. Okay, you know, I'm biased because I am a conservative and I am a Bible believer, and consequently I believe in the principles of Scripture, and consequently I'm a Republican. I'm hoping that the Republican side, the, the biblical side, the people that love Jesus and want to stop abortion and stop this craziness that's going on with homosexuality and stop all this, that that side, that that group is not acting like the other side's treating us. We don't want to treat them like they treat us. We really don't. Because if you divide, if you bite and devour one another, beware we're going to be consumed one of another. We'll destroy each other. The nation that we love so much will collapse upon itself. Uh, there'll be an election, and nobody will accept the results, and there'll be no leadership, and that's called chaos. And the worst position you can be in is a no leadership position, chaos. Nation after nation in the world have been turned over that. The latest one to be turned over that is the nation of Haiti, which I've been in four different times. Right now, they're in chaos. Right now, they got gangs of people running around enforcing their own law by their own interpretation, killing people without, uh, uh, you know, abusing people and killing people without any judgment because there's no authority over the top of them. Nobody wants to live, but that is a God's final judgment on a nation that turns away from it. He'll bring in a situation where you have no more judgment, no more government, no more law and order, and every man will do that which is right in his own eyes. Let Satan do his job. We need to let Satan do his job. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now here it is. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That hurts my feelings. 
What, one thing that hurts my feelings about it is he's got something to accuse. Uh, because, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm still in this earthen vessel. We still have faults and sometimes willful, sometimes not, where we give him material. We give him reason to accuse us before God. But whether we give him material or don't give him material, the Bible says he's out there accusing us before God day and night. You're sleeping, he's accusing you before God. I think we just need to leave that to Satan. A born-again believer should not be accusing and pointing fingers and chewing each other out. The last person that really has a right to accuse anybody is Satan. Who is more flawed than Satan? Who has more wickedness in them than Satan does? The Bible says he's the father of lies, that he created lies, that he was a murderer from the beginning. This is found in John 8, 44. And so with those things said, and nothing even more than that, there's so much more, yet he has the audacity, and if I may say the pride, to stand before the holy God of all that is, that even created him, and accuse the brethren who have repented of their sins and asked Jesus to forgive them. He hasn't. He hasn't repented. He don't get to repent. But he's their accuser. That shows you the audacity of that. So when we begin to bite and devour one another, we're acting like he like We're acting like the father we used to have. Jesus said, you're of your father the devil before you're saved. Once you get saved, God the Father has now become your father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've changed fathers. But when you begin to bite and devour one another through judgment and criticalness, a spirit of criticalness, a spirit of judgment, then what happens is you take on the characteristics of your old father, your ex-father, and begin to do what he does. And, boy, God, I don't want to put up with that for sure. One of the biggest reasons churches fail is because the membership will get critical of each other. They'll get tough on each other. You know, I don't like... Uh, them skinny pants. I, I don't like that pointy hair. I don't like that that little that uh, that little so-called beard that, that some of these young people they don't have enough hair on their face to grow a beard, but they'll give it a shot. Uh, uh, the, the best best looking beard we ever had at Gospel Baptist was Marty Moon. Marty Moon, he had him a solid beard. In fact, to be honest with you, he looked better with a beard than without a beard. But I don't know many people like that. But I told Marty, you know, cover up that face as much as possible. But and he he would we'd always laugh about that. But we don't want to get like that. We don't want to start after each other. We want to we want to judge each other the way God has judged us, don't we? In mercy, and kindness. He has overlooked so many of my flaws, so many of my stupid statements and opinions that I've made through the years, and had so much mercy. On me. The first ones to accuse someone oftentimes is the one with the most to accuse. That's Satan. May God help us to be balanced in this area of judging. And the next time you hear somebody say, Judge now, lest you be judged. Just remember the words of verse 2, 3, 4, and 5 of Matthew chapter 7. Father, thank you for the few minutes we've had together. Thank you for the Bible, that it does not leave us without help. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.